welcome to Evalu Land, the podcast about the land of evaluation between you and me, your host, Dana Linnell Wanzer. This is the show where we interview people about any and all things evaluation related. chatting with Dr. Kathleen Dahl about her dissertation on strategic evaluation. Kathleen recently completed her PhD in evaluation and applied research methods at Claremont Graduate University in Southern California. She is passionate about democratic approaches to evaluation, mixed methodologies, infusing strategic planning into evaluation design, and building evaluation capacity. Kathleen is an enthusiastic member of the American Evaluation Association and serves as the Research on Evaluation Program co-chair with me. When Kathleen is not dabbling in the wonderful world of evaluation, she enjoys outdoorsy adventures in her majestic homeland of Colorado, experimenting in the kitchen, and long-distance running. Kathleen, welcome to the podcast. Woohoo! Awesome. Thanks for having me, Dana. What a treat to be here. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to have you on the podcast for a number of reasons. First and foremost, because we're really good friends, and we went through the PhD process together. And you've been such an inspiration to me throughout the process, and I just really love the way you think about evaluation. You're an incredible writer. I loved reading your dissertation, and I don't say that lightly uh, (laughs) because they're usually very long. I'm so happy for you that you finished your PhD, and I'm excited to discuss your dissertation on strategic evaluation. But before we launch into that, I was hoping you could start us off by talking about why you chose to get your PhD in evaluation. Yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, I'd like to, you know, send right back at you a lot of those feelings. You've been a tremendous inspiration to me um, as I've, you know, been a little farther behind you in the PhD process, but I always look to you for all sorts of guidance in the in the field. So thank you. But well, thank you. I guess to answer your question about how I wound up in the world of evaluation and ended up getting a PhD in it. I think the first thing to know is that I never really thought I would get a PhD in anything that totally was not on my radar. And like so many of us, I didn't even know what evaluation was, uh, you know, during my undergrad and earlier academic career. Um, So I was really just following my passions and opportunities just continue to arise. Um, So I had just finished undergrad um, in Southern California, and I had very much become a social science research enthusiast during my undergrad, um, dabbling in psychology, political science, and women's studies. And I knew that to take those skills to the next level would require a graduate degree. But after completing undergrad, I wasn't quite ready to narrow in my focus on grad schools. So I did a year of service with AmeriCorps. Um, direct social service and volunteerism has always been super close to my heart. I was, I'm a lifetime Girl Scout of America member. (laughs) So shout out to any Girl Scouts out there. Um, And it was at this um, nonprofit where I was stationed at as an AmeriCorps member that I came across this thing called evaluation. And it just suddenly seemed like the perfect fit for my social science research background, my love for direct service, and an overall space for me to, you know, take research and apply it in the real world. So um, I actually got the recommendation for Claremont from a past professor. I looked into it. 
I happened to align exactly with this new evaluation thing I had discovered at the nonprofit. And yeah, next thing I know, I'm doing a PhD at Claremont in evaluation, just trying to learn everything that I can about this majestic creature called evaluation. Did you apply to any other universities beyond Claremont when you applied for a PhD? Yeah, I did, um, which is actually funny. I was primarily looking at Political, uh, political psychology PhD programs. Mm-hmm. But again, I was never really actually trying to get a PhD. I was just trying to get a funding for a master's and to do that was through a PhD route, I thought. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I went to all these different schools um, for my visits once I was accepted and I just realized I didn't want to be doing basic research and um, nothing against basic research. It just wasn't for me. And so Claremont was, again, just an ideal fit for someone like me looking to do more applied work. Cool. So your thesis was on democratic evaluation, and I think that's still something that you're interested in, right? You talked about being passionate about democratic approaches. So how did you get into your dissertation topic of strategic evaluation? And maybe you could also describe a little bit about what strategic evaluation is, maybe why we should care about it. Yeah, totally. Um, Okay. Well, I'll explain how this topic came to fruition first. Um, so I'd like us all to go back to fall of 2017. <laughs> so long ago. I was a strapping young grad student so long ago. Um, and I was taking these courses on evaluation capacity building and performance monitoring and evaluation. Um, and I was getting all these angsty feelings like, oh, like how can we actually build interventions for evaluation capacity building? Ugh performance monitoring seems just like a bunch of shallow indicators. And I just had a lot of unrest and a lot of blossoming ideas about about these concepts. And so midway through the semester, I found myself at AEA in Washington, D.C. that year. And as I was putting together my schedule for the conference, I was primarily honing in on sessions that were about strategy and evaluation, thinking that that could maybe solve some of this angst I was feeling um, and I ended up at a session uh, put on by the Utah Department of Health about this thing called strategic evaluation planning. Um, and it was outlining the CDC's guide for creating these things called strategic evaluation plans. And so it's super memorable, actually, as well, because the, the example they used in their demo was planning evaluation for a zombie apocalypse. And so that was like a fun exercise to do uh, and is very memorable. And so when I went back to Claremont after the conference, we were doing a share out in the performance monitoring class about cool things we had learned at AEA. And I raise my hand and I tell the professor who was Leslie Fierro, um, I learned about this great thing called strategic evaluation planning, helping us think more, you know, systematically about planning evaluations over time. And she has laughed at me because she was one of the folks who designed strategic evaluation plans for the CDC back when she used to work there. Um, so, you know, now having this interest in strategic evaluation planning and Leslie's right here, you know, it seemed like the perfect fit for a dissertation topic since she was an advisor interested in that topic. And I was genuinely just drawn to that concept. So uh, spent a year designing my dissertation study and yeah. 
Speaking of designing it, tell us a little bit about your dissertation design because it has a very long name, the type of design you used. Oh my god. <laughs> Can you gosh. say it off the top of your head? Uh no. <laughs> I need to look, I need to look at I have it written down here. Um it is so long. Okay, okay. Exploratory concurrent multi-phase mixed methods design. <laughs> Yeah, that's a mouthful. You want to unpack that a little bit? Definitely. Um, so I used a two-phase study. Uh, in the first phase, I was looking at more of the landscape of strategic evaluation initiatives, um, which I can speak to a little bit more in a second what that actually means and how I was looking at it. But so essentially, phase one had a document review, a survey, and an interview process. And concurrently, I was running a phase two of the study, which was a one-site embedded case study with actually the CDC, um, some of the same folks who I had saw who I had saw speak at AEA um, a couple years prior. Um, but really, the whole first portion of my study was this document review, and I was trying to figure out a working definition for strategic evaluation initiatives, which harkens back, Dana, to your earlier question about exactly what is strategic evaluation. Right, because I remember past conversations, uh, we had a hard time sometimes grappling with what did you mean by strategic evaluation planning? Definitely, yeah. Um, and I think it's helpful to start with what it's not. I think a lot of times when we think about strategic evaluation, my mind immediately goes to, oh, we're evaluating strategies. Um, but no, that's not happening <laughs> in, in, in the way I've conceptualized it for this study. Um, instead, it's this idea of creating a comprehensive plan and process that guides and coordinates how evaluations are prioritized and then sequenced across a whole array of programs, projects, initiatives, all within one organization over a specific period of time, like a five-year funding cycle or something like that. So it's like strategic planning, but not for the organizations, for the evaluation of the organization. Yes. It's like designing a whole little fleet of evaluations, a little bit of Cromback action there for anyone who's familiar with uh, Lee Cromback and his fleet of evaluations. But it just, exactly. yeah, just pretty much a tool um, to plan a portfolio of evaluations, build synergies, share learnings across programmatic silos, and see the forest and the trees of your evaluation work. So what did you find? So you started with the document review, you did interviews, you did your case study. What'd you find? Yeah, well, obviously there was a lot of data that came from that. I think I conducted um, upwards of 35 interviews, key informant interviews, which were all about an hour apiece. So there was a ton of qualitative data, but it was just so rich. Um, and I, f I found findings related to numerous different things. Um, first of all, well, I like to think about it in terms of like some who, what, when, where, why's. Um, I learned a little bit about more about who's doing these types of initiatives. Um, and I came to see that people are referring to them by a lot of different names. So I know a lot of folks are familiar with learning agendas. Those are definitely in my study conceptualized as a strategic evaluation initiative. Um, so the, these types of things are happening, obviously, a lot in the government space, now with the learning agenda mandates. Uh, they happen in nonprofits quite a bit and foundations as well. 
And they're really spurred by mostly funders, actually, um, and organizational leaders who are looking to get a handle on how to align organizational values and goals, um, create some sort of mechanisms for systematic decision-making, and really just this idea of needing to refine the foci of where you're putting your evaluation resources. And of course, in the research too, I identified some different steps for how this can go down, um, which I will not bore you with today. Uh, But I think the biggest findings are about the benefits of a practice like this, of engaging in strategic evaluation initiatives. Sure, it creates a document Um, But some of the process pieces were really, really fascinating to me, someone who's interested in things like evaluation capacity building. Um, So I can list off a couple of those findings real quick. Um, And really, in essence, going through the process of making and executing a strategic evaluation plan changed how people thought about and acted on evaluation. So they were asking better questions. Um, They were showing increases in their evaluation knowledge. They were valuing evaluation and seeing it as something that needs to be done. Um, And they were integrating evaluation into their other work. Um, So yeah, for me, it was really strategic evaluation was so much more than just the plan you create, but this idea of it being an intervention for fostering evaluative thinking and evaluation capacity building. So thinking of strategic evaluation planning as an intervention, like you said, um, your your dissertation focused a lot on process use and evaluative thinking, which I agree. I think it makes a lot of sense of why why that would promote both of those. I'm wondering, did you see anything about how strategic evaluation planning might promote instrumental use? I mean, we do evaluation with the hope of changing programs, right, of improving programs. So it's it's an it's a really admirable goal, admirable goal to increase process use and increase evaluative thinking. But I think ultimately we want to see changes in programs. Did you see any evidence of any of that? Totally, um, very much so. And I especially saw a lot of that in the case study that I ran with um, informally with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Um, specifically, I was looking at their National Asthma Control Program and six state grantees. And when I talked to folks who were at those state health departments getting the CDC funding and having to make these strategic evaluation plans, it became just so clear how the actual findings from the evaluations they were being quote unquote forced to do um, were just totally transformational in how they were designing programs um, to address asthma related issues in their state. Um, So yeah, there were these instrumental use implications, uh, process use, um, conceptual use, all of, it was the whole enchilada of use. <laughs> nice. It sounds like the case study was a really helpful addition to your evaluation study. I'm wondering though, I got the sense through your defense and reading the dissertation, I got the sense that maybe it would have made more sense as a follow-up to phase one. Or I'm r- rather, I'm kind of wondering to what extent did the case study start in relation to the document review? Totally. Um, So the document review happened first because that is really what helped me nail down what terminology people were using in reference to strategic evaluation initiatives and giving me a frame to how to approach people in my survey and the interviews. So the case study started after obviously the document review and after a survey I did of evaluators, but concurrently with interviews I was doing with some of the folks who completed my survey. Um, so it was pretty much done. Okay, in that makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I, the way it's 
framed, it's like the document analysis, the interviews and the survey are all phase one done concurrently with the case study. And I just got the sense reading is like, oh, wouldn't you have loved to use that to like inform the case study and, but okay, cool. That yeah. makes, that's awesome. That's the exploratory. Yeah. So phase one was exploratory. <laughs> right. <laughs> with the concurrence of the um, case study. It's a mess. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you said that um, government, nonprofit foundations were the organizations that were mostly doing strategic evaluation. Do you think they're the only types of organizations that should be or could be doing strategic evaluation? Or is this something that you think every organization should be doing? Like, where, where are the limits? Who should be doing this? And so on. Yeah, that's a great question. And I would love to, you know, do further studies that explore a little bit more, maybe pinpointing some places that this type of work is most advantageous and the most benefits could be reaped from it. Um, but I, I mean, I think the th beauty about strategic evaluation initiatives is that it's kind of a blank template. Um, depending on the maturity of your program or, you know, the urgency of decision making, um, material, those things all weigh into how you could plan your own strategic evaluation initiative. Um, so for example, maybe an organization that has a lot of new programs, um, some of the activities involved in their strategic evaluation plans would be more like evaluability assessments or needs assessments, all kind of tracking forward to implementation studies, process, um, outcome studies like that. So I really think there's a use for it anywhere and just even just designing programs, making sure that from day one of a program, we are thinking about, okay, how we're going to measure it, how are our activities tracking to our perceived um, or our hoped for outcomes. Um, I think it can be used in an array of contexts and organizations, but there really needs to be this willingness to collaborate and engage in consensus building and the time to actually do both of those in an intentional and meaningful way. So it's less about the stage of the program or the organization and more about their commitment to an activity that could be very time consuming and collaboration intensive. Right. That makes sense. I, I, I wonder, was was it a five-year plan? Was that typical, like how long the, an evaluation plan, a strategic evaluation plan would be? So all the ones that I looked at um, in my case study with the National Asthma Control Program, those were all five-year strategic evaluation plans because that was the grant funding cycle offered by the CDC. However, when I talked to 10 or 11 different individuals um, as a part of my phase one interviews, those ones spanned anywhere from, you know, three to seven years, um, okay. just based on different kinds of grant cycles and stuff. That makes sense. I'm wondering, to what extent do you think this is, um, it can align with developmental evaluation that requires a little bit more, um, well, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not sure how well do you think this would align with something that should be changing as organizations, as programming changes? Mm -hmm. That's a really great question. And yeah, ugh, that's tough because, you know, I think we're so tempted when we create one of these strategic evaluation plans um, 
or documents. We really don't want to revise it. It was like, we spent so much time making this plan. We got to stick to it. And that I think, especially now in these COVID times, we're risking that's not really feasible or smart. Um, so a lot of folks I talked to really spoke about the importance of creating space to revise these plans um, and, you know, making sure that is an assumption in the model of one of these is that you will be revising it, you know, hopefully every year, if not more than that. But but in terms of developmental evaluation, I honestly don't know how well they would pair. I'm, I would be curious to look more into that, but, you know, develop. About developmental evaluation is so contingent upon kind of those rapid, rapid cycles of feedback and things like that. I mean, sure, you could build a developmental evaluation into a strategic evaluation plan. It, yeah, it's, it's doable. It's doable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you said that this works well, even in early stages of organizations and programs and stuff, but I just get the sense it makes a little bit more sense once things are at least on the ground. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, um, you know, we don't have a program yet. We're going to do a needs assessment first and see what the, org- you know, the community needs are. And then we'll create a program. Well, based on what you create, that's going to really change what the evaluation is going to look like. Totally. And I think something helpful, too, to think about is that um, the strategic evaluation plan is kind of more like one of those 50,000 foot views. Um, it's it's not quite asking programs to have an individual evaluation plan, which would obviously be much more in depth. Um, and it's just kind of providing an overall higher level structure of how evaluation could and should be getting done. And so it, it leaves room to be tweaked and um, you know altered at that individual level still. I kind of worry, you, you mentioned that funders were kind of taking the lead on this in some capacities. Um, were they also, you know, being explicit, like these are meant to change? Because I get the sense from, from a lot of funders that they want to see your plan and then they don't want you to change that plan and you're, you're, you're locked in stone, right? So I'm kind of wondering how that fits in with, with funders. Yeah, um, well, at least on the case study side, that's where I mostly encountered this idea of revision. That was definitely um, something that was highly valued from the evaluation technical assistance side, which those would be kind of akin to program officers. Um, it was built into their to their grant work that there would be revisions and that was expected. However, when I looked on my other side of the study, um, I didn't really hear too much commentary from funders or folks like that about willingness to be flexible with modifications. But again, I mean, I'm sure that would come up a lot more in these times versus when I did this back in, I did all those interviews back in December of 2019. So we live in a different world. <laughs> yes, we do. So are there anything else, is there anything else that you want to share with your dissertation before we talk about the different world we live in? Ooh, no, I, I think that's it. I mean, I'm happy to share resources about my study. I've created some nice little fun and accessible handouts for folks. So um can definitely yeah definitely we'll, we'll put those in the show notes so that because um, you've got that infographic that's amazing so yeah we'll definitely include that in the show notes so that people can learn more about what you've done yes beautiful but yeah otherwise we are free and clear to talk about <laughs> life <Awesome>. now <laughs> nice <laughs> so how has your current work been impacted or informed by the current global pandemic COVID-19 yeah um so you know I it's it's really tr- you know 
it's been very devastating to a lot of people, this pandemic. And I see so many of our colleagues, Dana, who are losing contracts or out of work just because so much of the work we do is contingent upon, you know, people being together in spaces. Like a, a lot of work mm-hmm. I've previously done has been with after school programs and well, school's not in session right now. And those, those types of things can't go on. Um, so I feel very fortunate that a lot of my work hasn't been severely um, inhibited by the current pandemic. But um, there is one project in particular that we did have to do a major pivot on. Every year I work with um, the Santa Fe Community Foundation, Santa Fe, New Mexico, and they have um, this little entity called the Santa Fe Community Educators Network. And it's essentially this collaboration of museum educators from across Santa Fe. And I don't know um, if you've ever been to Santa Fe, Dana, but I actually have not, but it's, it's, it's a cute, adorable little town. And it has like more museums per capita than almost anywhere else. It's this wild art town. (laughs) And so there's tons of museums and educators uh, in that space. And so this Santa Fe Community Educators Network, I work with them every year. They put on a summer program um, and a lot of after school services to provide a wraparound services to students in the Santa Fe community who, you know, are in need of those additional resources. So yeah, every summer I go and we do a summer program and I do their evaluation for them, but obviously that's not happening this year. Um, so instead we've done, we've done a pivot in our work together and Uh, Together, we've been scoping teachers across Santa Fe to figure out what their needs are during this time in hopes of helping the Santa Fe Community Educators Network inform their response and how they can leverage their resources to help the community and the students for the remainder of this school year and into the summer. So that's been a cool project. Cool. A little needs assessment to inform future programming. Yes, exactly. But it's, it was definitely awesome. a pivot from what we normally are working on together, which is, you know, learning more about students and how they're experiencing summer programming. Right. Uh, I think I, I get the sense that a lot of programs and organizations should be pivoting in that direction, right, of we are in different times and how can we leverage the resources and tools at our disposal to accommodate those new existing times, right, um, that we're, we're not as equal of a society, like our society is not as equitable as it should be, obviously, right? And this has really highlighted all of that. And so evaluation is giving us this really awesome opportunity to, um, I mean, it's horrible, but it's also an, a good opportunity to take advantage of to inform our programming. So that's awesome that they're taking advantage of that. Yes. Yeah, I was very, I was glad they were receptive to the idea to kind of pivot where we normally are at this time of year and they yeah so it's been a, been a good collaborative yeah so was that then something that you approached them about or did they come to you saying well we can't do this let's do this instead no I um I suggested it um they said hey we have x amount of money and we're not going to be doing the summer program anymore um what can we do? And I was like, well, why don't we tap into the community you work in and see, see where we can make those dollars go to most work by just doing a little bit of evaluation on the front end and then spending the rest of that money on actually giving services. So, Awesome. That's awesome. So what are some new or emerging topics in evaluation that are giving you life right now? Aha. 
Um, there a couple as there always are. And I'm curious to hear Dana, your, your opinion on what's you're into these days too, because you're very up to date on all the good stuff. Um, Okay, the first thing I want to share about is I recently did Martha Brown's e-study, AEA e-study, on becoming a trauma-informed evaluator, and it totally rocked my world. Um, Just so much food for thought there. It was only um, a three-hour course in total, and I feel like I'm very late to the trauma-informed movement, but there was just so much there that is going to be very relevant moving into a post-COVID world. Like we're all going to have traumas, not just folks we, you know, that not just folks who get are recipients of services, but also our colleagues, ourselves. Um, so that was really fascinating. And she provided a ton of different books that I have a massive list of that I need to start checking off and, you know, making reading groups with. <laughs> so that's so it. obviously we should all be taking that e study. But what's one thing that you took away that our listeners can? bring into their practice. Ooh, totally. Well, so one of the things I loved about the e-study was at the end, everyone on the call was able to kind of crowdsource a list of different trauma-informed practices that we can pretty much immediately integrate into our work. And a lot of them are just in measurement options. For example, um, if you're doing an online survey, provide the the folks who are taking it with multiple outs, instead of just having the consent at the onset, maybe provide throughout the survey, are you still comfortable with this? Are you still willing to proceed? Um, I've never offered that on a survey that I've constructed, and I think I would like to going forward. So just little tweaks like that even are totally doable and just, you know, really create a safer space for for everyone to operate in. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. E-studies for everybody listening, you can take them at any time. Obviously, I'm guessing it was much more valuable taking it live. And I'm now I'm regretting that I did not take it. But now I might go pay for it to go watch it in especially just three hours. And you got a lot out of it. So cool. Thank you. Yeah, of course. What else is giving you life? Um. Okay. Well, this is might be a shameless personal plug for the research on evaluation, TIG. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm really excited about the working groups that you've been spearheading, Dana. Just, you know, we've been putting on the new webinars and the creating the research agenda for research on evaluation. That working group has been really fascinating. Um, obviously, I have this penchant for, you know, strategic agendas and things. So I'm loving that we're thinking about our research from a strategic approach, too. So that's been very exciting. Yeah, I I just wanted us to be doing more, especially outside of the conference. Um, you know, we get to the conference, we try to do our business meeting, and then a dozen well-intentioned, well-loving research on evaluation people join. But it's they, you know, the many other people want to join and get involved. And right now, we've got a ragtag team of about a dozen people who come and go throughout these monthly meetings. But yeah, we've gotten a lot accomplished, and I'm really excited about that. Um, we're sprucing up our newsletter. We're, we put on one webinar with Brad Cousins um, on getting ROE published, which I'll link to that in the show notes. But um, we've got another one coming up that I'm really excited about. Uh, I don't think we're at the point where we can share exactly what that is yet, but that'll be out in late June. Um, we've started some research studies. We've put some proposals together and all in the name of getting towards a larger research agenda for research on evaluation. So yeah, it's been really exciting. Yeah. Just helping people see the good news of research on evaluation as a tool to make their practice 
better. <laughs> so that's exciting. Exactly. Well, especially because like we already, you know, so much, so many of us already struggle with what is evaluation in the first place. And then trying to explain what research on evaluation is when I think we get a lot of people who think research on evaluation is evaluation research, or it's just research in evaluation. <laughs> um, and it's not quite that. And so um, it's been nice to create tools to help us better leverage the work that we're doing and hopefully better you know, informed practice, because I think that's our ultimate goal. Absolutely. Okay. And then there's one other thing that I'm really excited about lately. It's, um, I don't even, we don't even have a name for it. It's, it's kind of this collective of folks that we initially were all coming together to produce uh, feminist intersectionality, new directions of evaluation volume, but it's evolved into much more than that. So, um, it's kind of being spearheaded by people like Libby Smith or Ali Lopez, Vidya Shankar, Divya Beda, Veronica Smith, all these just powerhouse people. And I'm just kind of tagging along, uh, following their lead on facilitating this group of sometimes over 60 women um, and men, just allies, 60 allies coming together to create a subversive feminist anti-racist space to potentially debunk the current academic publishing process and just create other beautiful collaborations. So that has been a trip to be a part of the past few months. And I'm really curious to see what else we produce as far as our process goes. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit more about the the publication process that you just mentioned, like how it's being changed and modified and yeah. improved? Well, it's definitely a work in progress, but we're taking more of a principles engaged approach to it. Um, so we're focusing less on having objectives and goals and more on just being really true to our core values and principles and just letting things emerge organically. Um, but essentially, we're just taking a much more crowdsourced approach to finding folks who want to contribute to this New Directions volume. We're not targeting people. We're not inviting people um, in an exclusive way, we're casting the widest net we possibly can and trying to connect as many people as possible to contribute to this volume. Um, again, it's very early on in the process, but it's been cool to see um, a different way of operating and creating a, an issue for NDE potentially. That's really exciting because I think, especially with NDE, a lot of people don't really realize how to get involved. You know, it's one thing to you write a journal and submit it to, you know, the American Journal of Evaluation or whatever, and, you know, one and done, and you don't get invited, you just submit it. But NDEs has a very different publication model. So it, it's really awesome to see how you're, I don't think, I don't know if crowdsourcing is the right word, but really it's a community effort. And I don't know, I just really like that. I mean, it goes towards the working group and what we're trying to do in research on evaluation. And in increase the number of people who are publishing and sharing and disseminating and bridging or weaving practice and research together so that we can better do evaluation, right? Yeah, just really focusing on calling in voices that, you know, haven't been heard before or ha haven't been heard as widely as they need to be heard. So the calling in process is very arduous, but it's important. So that's where we're at with that now, but stay tuned. I'm sure there'll be more to come. And yeah, I'm excited to see how that group of folks comes together. 
Yeah, that's exciting. I'm really looking forward to reading that once it comes out. Yeah. Well, and who knows if actually we'll ever put together an actual issue. We'll see, but there's going to be a lot of other things coming out of that collaborative too. There's, we have a blog, an AEA blog post week coming up in October. So look for that. Um, and who knows what other products people are interested in working on. So. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So now that you're done with the PhD, what's next? Ah, I wish I knew. (laughs) Okay. So I've been on the job hunt grind for a few months kind of a weird time to be in the market for a job, but I've had some really fantastic interviews and cool opportunities. So I should be hearing in the next couple of days where I will potentially be offered a job at. So, you know, we'll have to check back in with you, Dana, (laughs) and let you know. Um, But I also, of course, want to be working on publishing some of my dissertations, studies, um, putting something out there in the world that people have access to. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of me now, just job hunting, fingers crossed, and yeah, potentially publishing. <laughs> well, hopefully. I mean, yeah, I really hope so. It's a really great dissertation. Um, if anybody is looking to hire Dr. Dahl, I would highly recommend. Like, you're just amazing. I don't, I don't, I really don't understand why you haven't landed a million jobs right now because yeah. I would work with you in a heartbeat. Maybe I'm just picky. I don't know. I am looking for something very particular. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we'll see. Thanks, Dana. That means a lot. Of course. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Kathleen. Of course. Uh, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, how would you recommend they find you? LinkedIn is always a great place to find me. Just Kathleen MK Doll or on my Gmail, KathleenDoll101 at Gmail. Um, yeah, happy to connect. Always looking for collaborations or inspiration. So Awesome. Perfect. Thank you. I will link all that to the show notes and thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Dana. Good luck with your podcast. Well, thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please visit the podcast website at evaluelandfireside.fm where you can subscribe to get notified of new episodes and contact us with your questions, comments, or suggestions. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, this has been Evaluland.